Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Auto Sport Podcast. We discuss the final three available F1 seats and ask if the driver market has any more surprises in store. The 2019 driver market has been one of the big stories of the season, with so many twists, turns and surprises, handshake deals reneged on and shock signings, that keeping track of it has been a big challenge. But with only three seats yet to be officially confirmed, one at Williams, one at Force India and one at Toro Rosso, is there any chance of another surprise charging at us unexpectedly from over the horizon? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to sift through the fading embers of the driver market is Scott Mitchell. Now... I'll leave it to you to tell the listeners where we're recording this, but I will offer a small hint in that we're not too far away from a very famous grassy knoll. Yeah, we're in uh, we're in downtown Dallas, in, in between the US and Mexican Grand Prix. Um, it's been it's been awesome. It's very very rare in this job that you actually get some time to to check out the the, the places you go to on the Formula One calendar. But, but we went really aggressive here, Ed, didn't we? Where we came we came back to Dallas after Austin to uh, to see back to back sport. 
Yeah, it's been outstanding. We had uh, NBA, the uh, Dallas Mavericks, on uh, on Monday night, and on Tuesday nights, NHL ice hockey. Yeah, the uh, Dallas, Dallas Stars. Stars. Yeah, yeah that, was, uh, that was good fun. But uh, to go back to your original reference, see, we are also about a fifteen minute walk from the place where uh, JFK was assassinated. So, see, we spent a bit of time there yesterday during the uh, during the day, checking out the mem- the memorial and and having a look at the the actual the road, which is which is marked up with the places where he was he was shot in in the neck and then fatally in in the head and the museum that 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 museum is absolutely excellent built in the the sixth floor of the uh the book depository building where the the sniper was deemed to have been uh, been positioned it's just absolutely fascinating it's the most real experience of i've ever had of a, of a major historical event i don't know about you no it's amazing well it's kind of almost living history because it's it's still a very sort of fresh wound as it were culturally and it's it's something you've seen on tv so many times recreated or the footage and photos so to actually get there and we're sort of wandering around trying to work out the geography of it and it's it's a it's a fascinating place to uh to go to and get a feel for it and we've even got a nice comfortable apartment yeah we actually do for the first time in uh, quite a few autosport podcasts this can be a positive review in terms of style it's a very stylish apartment it's very pleasant practically we've had a few problems we don't half the lights don't work more than half of the plugs don't work um so drawbacks but it it looks nice it's built into this it's part of a development that's built into this what appears to be a really really old disused uh like it must be an old railway station or something because it's called magnolia station so i've sort of added two and two together and just decided that's what this used to be but it feels like an old rail yard outside it's quite a cool place. Don't get me wrong. It's uh, less than practical, though. Yes, yeah, and it's uh, no, it's, it's it's definitely a reconditioned building. I know they've had a. There's been a lot of rain in Texas the past week or so, and they've they've had a they've had flooding in their basement, which is a little bit unfortunate. But uh, it's all sorts of weather events going on. We had flooding uh, flooding in Texas. We're heading off to Mexico tonight, flying into a hurricane. So uh, yeah, all the weather. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, I, I'd forgotten about the hurricane, which actually sort of worried me a little bit yesterday. So thanks for that, Ed. I'm going to spend the rest of this this podcast worrying about my impending demise. Well, I always think that you get the best quality podcast guests when they're a little bit on edge, when it's a little bit kind of what's going to happen, a bit nervous, a bit worried. Well, well hopefully I live up to that expectation rather than end up <laughs> distracted and, and and worried for the next 45 minutes or so. Well, without any more delay, let's actually get on with it. Toro Rosso first. Uh, Alexander Alban, second in the F2 Championship. He's the only man who can deny George Russell a title in the Abu Dhabi finale next month. It emerged that he's the front runner. He's he's very, very, very close indeed to the drive to the partner Daniel Kvyat next year. So, how exactly did this happen? Well, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a surprise, I think, um, mainly because he signed a three year deal with the Nissan Dams Formula E team a couple of months ago. Um, and and Jean Paul Drio, the owner of Dams, is very happy about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's chuffed. Um, it's, yeah, he, he as he as he told uh, our Formula E correspondent Alex Kalinorkas last week, um, came out of the blue for the Nissan Dams team. Yeah, you have to uh, when you've got an F1 chance. I guess, I guess pursue it. But uh, well, Drio said this. He said, if you ask a blind man if he could see, you know what the answer is going to be. So I don't think they necessarily begrudge Albon's interest in taking the drive, not at all. But I think they feel aggrieved because Albon, Drio knows Albon because he races for the Dams team in in Formula Two, and E Dams is an offshoot of that. Um, and 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 Dams have helped 
helped Albon become this um, sort of more polished all all round driver who who is sort of an outsider in the title fight. He's been good this year, Albon. He's been a bit unlucky, but he he has been very impressive and he's stolen ahead of Lando Norris in the F two points. So he's obviously this, he's obviously one of those guys on the periphery of F one who sort of. He's never really been massively in the frame because he's not particularly well backed, and I believe that Dams have been helping him out quite a bit on on the F two side to to let him complete the season. But yeah, he's never seriously been on the on the radar of, of F one teams, and he was backed by Red Bull through karting and then into Formula Renault. But he was dropped years ago, quite a few years ago now. But obviously, Helmut Marko and Red Bull have got this new sort of uh, streak of forgiveness. Obviously, bringing back Hartley into the fold last year bringing back Kvyat after dropping him properly last season. So he's Kvyat's getting his third chance at Toro Rosso. So maybe in that sense, it's not hugely surprising that they've decided that if Albon is the best option outside F1 that's that's still available and they really want to get rid of Brendan Hartley, then going back to a driver that they know that they can actually do a proper judgment of the progress he's made because they say, right, this is where this is the level he was at when we weren't convinced by him and this is the level he's at now. So they've obviously re- recognised that, which... I guess all credit to, to to Albon for turning that round, but as as Drio has pointed out, Dam's played a pretty key part in that as well. And having made the commitment to sign him for three years, um, Red Bull have stolen in at the last minute, thrown a massive thrown a massive spanner in the works, and Albon didn't even drive in formal preseason testing last week because negotiations were ongoing. And um, it's just a very complicated situation. At one stage, it left the uh, left one of their cars empty, didn't it, during testing? So it has actually had a tangible impact on on Edam's uh, preparation for the season. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely not ideal, especially in a championship like Formula E, where you get minimal amount of testing with other teams, and the season opener's coming up, and Nissan is new to the fold. Obviously, the guys on the ground there are all very experienced. Work there with the, as part of the Renault Edam's project for the last four seasons, but. But it's absolutely not what um, what Nissan needed and wanted. And even though on the record they're not saying very much, behind the scenes I, I think they're seething. So where exactly is this possible Toro Rosso deal? Are we, as far as we're concerned, is it done or is it almost done? Uh, well, at the time of recording this podcast, our understanding earlier in this week was that it wasn't done, but it was close. The negotiations were still ongoing. That was Red Bull's position over the weekend in Austin as well. So it could be the case that in between us recording this podcast and it coming out, this is all completely rendered redundant. It wouldn't be the first time this season in the driver market, given the the, the ridiculous swings and changes. Oh, it's been that crazy, been hasn't it? And I guess that makes it fun. And 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 this is a fun story. Albon coming into the frame to get his F one debut means um means there's another an, another British born driver on the on the. It means it's another British driver on the grid. I, I know he he, um, he obviously has uh, tie affiliations, um, Alex, but he was a McLaren Autosport BRDC Award finalist. Um, he's very very impressive in that competition. He is someone who born and raised and 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 raced in Britain um, as a youngster. So so, so he's, as, he's as British as he is as he is tie. So that that's all that's all fun. Um, it's just a shame that obviously. He is. I don't. I hope, just hope he's not burning bridges himself. We mentioned the fact that Drio seemed to understand the the desire for him to 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 get to F one because it's what everyone dreams of doing. But obviously, motorsports a small world. You don't know how long you're going to be around for, especially if you're in the, a Red Bull backed situation. So just hope that 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 Alex, this is a sort of not short term gain for long term pain. Yeah, exactly. It's. Uh, I, I think the fact that this Edam's deal is is no longer there suggests that 
Albon's very confident that, that the F1 deal will be done because you wouldn't turn your back on as good a deal as that unless you were you were on pretty firm ground. Well, he does. The, the position that Drio was taking was that they do still have the contract. So they, it's not like Nissan have dismissed Albon and, and signed a new yeah, driver. I'm, I'm all thinking from Albon's side. No, absolutely. You, you wouldn't let this happen. Yeah, he, I, I don't... Exactly. You. This is as good as uh, basically refusing to turn up, isn't it? So... Um, I mean, Nissan have sort of moved to, they ran Oliver Rowland, I think, last week, and he's in the frame now as a sort of stand-in through the Albon situation, get resolved the way everyone seems to think it will, which is that he'll drive for Toro Rosso next season. But, which, you know, one door closes, another one opens. Oliver Rowland's a very, very good driver. He was hoping to be on on the sort of periphery of an F1 chance uh, for next season. That's not going to happen. But if he benefits from this and and swoops and signs a, a works Formula E deal, then that'll be very good for another very talented British driver. And how about Brendan Hartley? Toro also seems to have been trying to replace him for, for most of the season. As, as he said many times this year, he, he was surprised that only a few races into the season there was there was talk of, of replacing him, and that's not media speculation. That was something that, that happened. They were trying to look at, at Lando Norris. Brendan made some comments uh, recently on stories on about he feels he's been performing well and deserves to stay. What, what do you make of, of Hartley's performance? Is he unlucky in all of this? I think overall Hartley probably is a little bit unlucky. I'm not entirely convinced he's done a, a good enough job to stay in F1 next season. He has been comprehensively beaten by Gasly in the championship. When that Toro Rosso Honda package has been in position to, to score big results, Gasly's always produced... Hartley's always fallen a little bit short and he has been extremely extremely close with Gasly on pace this season look at dry qualifying it's only like a matter of a tenth on average uh, Australia slightly distorts it but you know, exactly he, he has been good so he's been so he's been close and when he gets himself into a good position or or the the car maybe hasn't been up to standard but Hartley does a good race like it's not it doesn't feel like he's necessarily lacking in anything once that gets going the problem is, is that he finds himself in those situations that they're too and few and far between, and he's always on the wrong side of that tiny margin. And I just think that over the course of the season, if that happens more often than not, then that's not luck. That's not bad luck and coincidence. That's you just fundamentally not being quite as good as the person in the other car. And he's made some, um, he's had to, he's had some major dramas this year. Obviously, he had his mistake in in Spain in practice where he crashed the car quite heavily. Um, yeah, just just drifted, yeah. Took a tiny bit too much track and entry and went off a cancer. Exa- exactly, and Big then old crash. If you look back at, for example, in Japan, Honda's home race, amazing job to qualify. He qualified sixth, didn't he, at Suzuka for Honda's home race? Um, but he got a very bad start and he struggled in the the first stint and um, he faded and he didn't score any points. And Gasly didn't either. That that should be stressed. But it, it was quite difficult in the race, though. I think um, they they felt they probably got a little bit too focused on qualifying pace, and I think their mechanical setup was a bit hard on the tyres. But yeah. I, I think the point you're making about this being on the wrong side of things is very true. Because for example, we talk about that qualifying gap, but if we look at the stats, Gasly's been in Q3 five times and Q2 seven times. Hartley's been in Q3 twice. And Q2 five times. So he's been beyond Q1 seven times. Gasly's been beyond Q1 12 times. So that's quite a big substantial difference for what's a very small average gap. And very often you see these qualifying sessions where the gap's small, but like you say, Hartley's just on the wrong side of the divide. Gasly on the other. And we also haven't seen Brendan Hartley do what Gasly's done, which is absolutely nail a weekend. Uh, two weekends that really stand out for Gasly are Hungaroring and also Bahrain. 
he had a very good result in Monaco as well, although he did underachieve a little bit in Q3 and should have been a, a little bit higher up the grid. So we haven't seen those sort of standout points. We've seen a, a few races where he's nicked an unlikely point. His first lap in uh, Austin race was, was fantastic, Hartley. Really good race. That's probably one of his best races, I would say. He certainly thought it was, and I'm inclined to agree. I think that was one of his highest driver ratings of the season. So, But the thing about Hartley is he's not a normal kind of rookie. I know he had a few races last season, but he's a 28-year-old. He was brought in because he had experience. He was a good sort of plug-in-and-play option. Yes, there's a hell of a lot to learn in Formula 1. These are complicated cars, and by his own admission, that has surprised him a little bit. But I think that the expectations of him were a little bit higher. He's not... He's had a few points finishes, not as many. I mean, it's one of those things that on every performance indicator, he's varying levels of behind. So... Is he unlucky to be replaced? I think he's unfortunate that it was so early in the season. They started trying to replace him actively because they wanted Lando Norris. That's never going to be good for your confidence and your mindset. Although I have to say, Hartley, who's an intelligent and sensible guy with a good approach, did seem to take a lot from that. And he said he's trying to be more focused and more selfish almost because you have to be. But I just think he hasn't just hasn't quite done enough to, to guarantee it. If they were to re-sign him, he'd say, actually, yeah, I can kind of see why they've done it. But... He's just not quite been up to the level that needs to be certain. He's done nothing to suggest he could ever be an option for the Red Bull main team. It's it's a shame for him uh, because I think he's a, he's a good driver. But yeah, he's unlucky. I don't know whether he's unlucky, but I don't think he's kind of... I think if we just say he's been terrible, that, that would be extremely unfair. He's been, you know, you could argue he's a qualified success or he's been unfortunate and he has had bad luck. Suspension falling apart at Silverstone, for example, and him crashing. And the brake failure in Russia. Yeah, nothing, nothing he, he could have done about that. But I'm not surprised they're replacing him. I don't think he's ever quite done something where he said, that's made like really qualified, really well in the wet in, hung- in Hungary, but didn't quite manage to make it. And you just feel it's really hard for him to get that. I always talk about stringing weekends together. He struggled to do that. Sometimes it's not been his fault. Sometimes it, it has been down to him. So I think that's the bottom line for, for Harley at Toro The thing that I have sympathy for mainly is that it, it, I think he's the maybe the wrong kind of person to be going through this sort of quite typical Red, Red Bull situation. This feels not particularly unusual for a Red Bull driver under pressure where you have a driver who maybe isn't quite performing the way they need to or there, there's something there's something missing basically, in their arsenal, whether it's one lap pace or stringing a weekend together or the way they operate behind the scenes. And I believe that based on sort of experience in Hartley firsthand this, this season, seeing him up close, speaking to him, getting his feedback on different things, he's he's very, very intelligent, very switched on and extremely committed. So I can't imagine he's doing anything wrong behind the scenes to, to draw Rebel's eye or, or, or unimpress Marco. So I, I, it leads me to believe it's purely on track. And when they look at it, I reckon they're probably thinking that this is the reality of the situation we saw a year ago, now finally coming home to roost, which is Hartley coming into Formula One at, uh, at his age with having spent the last few years in sports cars and, and, and being extremely successful in LMP1 was a fantastic story being picked up by the organisation that dropped him so many years before and finally getting his F1 break long after most people give up on the F1 dream. That was an incredible story. But unfortunately, the reality of that situation was always that there was a reason he didn't get to F1 in the first place, which was that he wasn't considered one of those standout absolutely world-class talents that Red Bull wanted to back and had the faith in to to be massively successful. And the problem with that is that while he has clearly improved as a driver, LMP1 and Porsche have been superb for him and he now operates at an extremely high level. He isn't quite, quite at 
at the level needed to sustain a long career in, in F1. So now I just think that you've got that, the negative end to the brilliant story from 12 months ago. He's he's had his chance. It was great that he did. But ultimately, Red Bull doesn't quite have the faith in him. And if it did, then Red Bull would have been coming out in force backing him. Hartley said so many times, I've got a contract for next year. So uh, he, he wishes he had the full support of everybody. But that's not really how F1 seem, works. It's a cutthroat business. And, and Hartley's been on the receiving end of that. To his credit, I think whatever happens, he's made Formula One, he's had a full season, he's had some points finishes, he's probably done better than superficial results suggest, but not quite done enough to stay in. A lot of drivers never achieve any of that. So yeah, I think it's to his credit that he's come in and he's at least shown himself to have been a, a decent driver in Formula One. And when he looks back at his career, he'll be able to say, yep, I'd go at that, I answered a few questions about about what I could do. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, this Toro Rosso situation, actually. Uh, it reminds me, I, I was uh, just a minute ago trying to create my own my own young dri- driver farm on uh, on Team Order Racing Manager. Have ever wants to manage your own Formula 1 racing team? Build a successful car? Issue tough team orders when needed? Well, now you can with Team Order Racing Manager, available on Google Play and the App Store. Give it a try. Team Order Racing Manager. Yeah, I've been trying to find a, a good young driver to bring, so I'm not very happy with my drivers. I, I've decided it's not my strategy that's going wrong in the races. It's my drivers trailing off in the races. So I, I, I need a, I need a superstar. I, I need a, an Albon or a George Russell in the car. I, I wouldn't like to drive for you. I think you'd be a terrible team boss. I think you'd have really unreasonable expectations, and I don't think you'd properly understand when I gave you the reasons why you were stitching me up. I, I, on that exact point, I think you're performing terribly in this podcast, and I might re- might well replace you uh, before, before the end of it. I've been yawning a lot. I, I like to think that the um, the way this podcast comes together and is seamlessly edited by the uh, the wonderful professionals uh, that uh, obviously I say professionals. There's 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 two people. Well, you're one of them, Ed. You're not professional at all. But I hope that the way that this comes out uh, eliminates all of my yawns because I'm extremely tired. I, I feel like the jet jet lag of being in in America is sort of wearing off. But uh, I got to bed quite late last night. Um, and then up again quite early because you don't want to mess around in the uh, because you because of the time zone don't want to sort of let the UK day completely pass by without any interaction so you sort of back up at a sensible time I'm just tired it's getting to that part of the season I'm probably not the only person in F1 that feels like this well that's it's a it's a long grueling season and the uh, yeah some of the people who are you know the people in the garages working hard doing the races it's it's, uh, it's extremely extremely hard work let's move on to the next topic. We know George Russell is in at Williams. Esteban Ocon is a contender. During the Mexican Grand Prix weekend, we ran a story about Williams chasing Ocon for the second seat alongside Russell. We a fantastic driver lineup, but how likely is it to happen? Because Williams needs to find a fair whack of cash to be able to make this happen. That's unlikely, surely. Yeah, I'm not convinced it will happen, but I have a lot of time and respect for Williams trying to make it happen if they if they are indeed uh, continuing to, to proceed in that direction. Ocon and uh, Russell together will be a phenomenally good lineup, and and I, I I like to see it as if they pull that off, then Williams basically saved F1 because Ocon being out of a drive next season is is a horrendous situation for everyone F1 to have. We thought that George Russell might miss out on his graduation as well, just because of the way the different pieces were falling. So the fact that they've saved one of them is amazing. The fact that they're keen on saving the other is 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 absolutely incredible. But as you say, quite a lot of money to find. They've taken a hit in signing George because as much as everyone... Well, we, we talked about this before when we did a podcast on George signing for Williams. But as much as everyone likes to think that this is Mercedes throwing 15 million or a bunch of free F1 engines at Williams for the sake of putting their guy in the car, 
It just doesn't work like that. And if it did work like that, they'd be putting Esteban in the car. They like all due respect to George, but Esteban's higher up the pecking order. So if they're going to move mountains to find George's seat, they'd have done it for Esteban by now. I think there's been a little bit of an assist, but it's it's a small small beer. It's not buying a drive by any stretch. Of no, and it, it it can be in third party ways, like assisting finding a sponsor and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but the problem is that um, you've got at least a couple of guys in the picture who who bring budget to different degrees. Um, o- Ocon won't won't bring funding, but um, obviously current driver Sergei Sorokin he has his back backers in Russia, um, and I think Sergei's actually done a, a pretty decent job this year. I know that a lot of people don't rate Lance Stroll; they don't think that he's a particularly good F1 driver. But I think Sorokin's done quite well. He seems to, at the very least, have the measure of Lance over one lap. Well, he's he's had the edge in qualifying certainly. Yeah, and you know there've been some good race performances. It's it's tricky when you're in a car like that. I mean, Austin, he, he, he still finished ahead of Stroll. He struggled a bit because he had some damage. But, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I think Sorokin, in very difficult circumstances, has done a, a much tidier job than people would think. And he's impressed the team with his approach. He's obviously got the engineering background. So he's quite an intelligent and, and rigorous guy. So, I mean, I, I don't uh, get me he, wrong. He's not, he's not a bad, you know, they won't be looking at it thinking, oh, if we run Sorokin, it's a wasted seat by any stretch of imagination. No, but he isn't a knock on. So obviously that's why, I mean, I get, I get the frustration. I get why there would be frustration in Sorokin's camp when you're sort of trying to negotiate your guys continuing next year, and you see stories about them labelling another driver as the preferred option. So it wouldn't surprise me if the people behind the scenes on Sorokin's side are thinking, "Well, hang on a second, is this just a ploy to get us to jack up our price?" Um, which I don't think they'll do. I don't think they'll fall hook, line and sinker for any ploy like that. I'm not suggesting that Williams is actually doing that. But it's a tricky situation to be because to be in because there's a good chance that Sorokin will stay there next season because he's got budget, because he's not done a terrible job. So he's not a bad option for Williams to well, have alongside well, you, George. And if you look at it, you know they're talking about needing Ocon, money to get Ocon. That's going to be a substantial sum of money and they've got a ready-made driver there with a season under his belt. He's done a decent job. Who does have cash attached? So, I, I would, if I was to be putting money on it, you, you'd lean towards the the Sorokin camp, wouldn't you? In terms of how difficult it's going to be for Williams to to find that that finance for for Ocon, it's it's a long 15, shot. This range. twenty million, wouldn't it, for a, for a, for a seat? Especially they won't budge on that because obviously they've taken a hit on George. And so. this is already a team that hasn't got a title sponsor for next year that we're aware of. Anyway, the Martini contract comes to an end yeah. this year. And they're losing money because they, they're not, they were fifth in the constructor championship last year. They're tenth. That has an effect on the column two money. So, you know, it, it all points to take the pragmatic option. You know, I give them credit for working hard to, to be able to put Russell in the car, but they have to be, you know, they have to be sensible. At the end of the day, they don't have a shareholders piling in money. They don't have a manufacturer owning them. You know, this has to work as a business. And if you take too big a gamble financially, then suddenly you can't pay the wages of your staff, etc. And you jeopardise the whole future of your business, which is why it's very difficult. And Claire Williams made it very clear that she would not be doing this. She's very, very keen on Ocon and she will and she will do everything she can and she wants her team to do everything they can to bring Ocon in and raise the money to bring Ocon in. What she will not do is jeopardise the future of the team to sign one absolute megastar. So they're being, they are being pragmatic about it, but there is another pragmatic option in there, which is Robert Kubica. Now, the Kubica story, we talked about the Hartley returning to F1, how amazing that would be. Kubica would trump that all ends up if he gets back into F1 after the, the rally crash that completely changed his, uh, his career and, 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 well, it changed his life, didn't it? Because of the severe injuries he suffered, um, on, on his arm. But, 
Kubica has got himself into position now where he was in the running for a 2018 Williams F1 drive. He's been reserve driver this year. He's been inside the team. He's driven the car. He's returned to Grand Prix weekend action for the first time in, what, seven years, eight years? Uh, two, well, 2010 would have been his last race and his, his final appearance play did the first test of 2011 at Valencia before so his So seven and a half years then out of Grand Prix action, Grand Prix weekend action rather. Um, now, supposedly, and this is a little bit rumour, but a little bit of sort of what I would class as sort of sensible gossip in inside the paddock, is Kubitz is sort of moving to, to, to get a little bit more backing from back home in Poland. So supposedly Robert has got a little bit more of a, a financial clout than he did when he went and tried to convince Williams to sign him last season, which... In in the situation they're in at the moment, maybe maybe that'll be a factor. I don't know if he could match Sorokins. I don't know if he has to or, or or whatever. But it does sound like he's a little bit more in the running on the financial side than he was a year ago. Not entirely sure how accurate that is, but he's definitely not out of the picture. So you've got Sorokin, Kubica, and Ocon, and I'm told that they've had there have been conversations of some kind with at least one driver outside of the F1 paddock so presumably that's one or two guys in F2 that are sniffing around but then again you're into that situation where you're bringing in a rookie uh, presumably just because they've got a decent amount of funding and if you're in that situation not to sort of go round the houses on this one but it, you would go Sorokin wouldn't you if you if you if you need a bit of budget and you want a uh, and you and you want a driver that's going to do a decent job. I, I think Sorokin's your guy. Yeah, I, th- I think he's uh, he's holding most of the cards in this one. But it'd be interesting to see. Credit to Williams for uh, trying to, trying to make something uh, make something happen. Certainly, I think they're they're not afraid of talking about it because they had so much criticism last year for for their driver lineup. That I think it's uh, it's quite a good statement of intent from them. So all credit to uh, the team and Claire Williams on that. We should briefly mention as a kind of postscript to this. Lance Stroll, he's not been confirmed at Racing Point Force India, which of course is going to change his name next year, but he, he is going to be there. There's no, there's no question about that. So we're just waiting for that to be announced in, in due course. And I think there's a few little details still of the Williams departure being, being finalized, but we're just, just waiting for that to be, uh, to be made official. Well, he is meant to be driving in the Abu Dhabi test. That's what we, we understand. It's what we reported earlier this week that it is going to be happening. Um, Force India just seemed to be being quite respectful towards Ocon in this situation because everyone's basically made, made the connection. They know Stroll's going there. They know it means Ocon's stitched up. I think Force India, they like Ocon. They've worked really well with Esteban over the, what, the last year and a half. It's nearly two years now, isn't it? And even before then when he did free practice stuff with them and testing. So, so, so they get on very well with Ocon and they want to see if he can land on his feet and sort of do something himself before they categorically rule him out because I, I I think what they don't want to do is be the ones that make it look like he's completely stitched up for, for next season so I think they just feel that officially confirming Stroll would effectively look like the nail in Esteban's coffin so they're kind of hoping Esteban can get his 2019 plans in place and announce them on his own in his own way, if you see what I mean. So he's not forced into doing that because he's no longer got a race drive. It's, okay, Esteban, you take care of your stuff, you get your house in order, and then we'll confirm what we're doing. Yeah, and uh, that's going to happen in a, in due course. I think the, the positive thing is that Ocon wasn't ousted immediately, which was a possibility at one stage, but I think it's probably wise from Force India's perspective because they're still trying to catch McLaren in the, for six in the Constructors' Championship. So there's still some work for them to do there, and they want the uh, the established driver lineup to uh, to deliver them that. Now, one driver who has been mentioned in, this, uh, in, the, in the driver market general 
story over the course of the year, but he won't be in Formula 1 next year, is Dan Ticktum. Now, Tickton this week, however, has taken his first step in uh, in Formula 1, if you want to put it that way, by testing for McLaren. Now, this is a part of his prize for winning the McLaren Autosport BRDC Award. And we spoke to Matt Q, who was there to watch Tickton have his first test of an F1 car. I would say, almost without a doubt, the headline part of the prize for winning the McLaren Autosport BRDC Award is a run in a Formula 1 car. Dan Tickton, who won the award last year, is only 19 and sort of like many of the winners before him, this is his first chance to sample F1 machinery. He's done plenty of sim work, but I think it's fair to say that pales in comparison to having a uh, Silverstone Grand Prix circuit all to yourself. So in recent years, the winner of MABA, so think uh, George Russell and Will Palmer, they've driven the McLaren MP426. So that's the 2011 car that Jensen Button famously won that crazy Canadian Grand Prix in. But as the cycle of cars have gone on, it's McLaren's current show car, the MP428, that ticked him without driving. So that's 2013, and it was driven uh, by Sergio Perez and Jensen Button. But, it, you know, it might not have sort of the, the history of, of Button's car, but it's, let's face it, it's the last of the V8, so it's, you know, great to hear that noise. And as for Dan's programme, he uh, he w- did an in-and-out lap. That was his installation on intermediate tyres. And then he was given four lots of five-lap runs on uh, slicks, uh, although they were they were demonstration-spec tyres, and that took him up right till the end of his session. Your first test in a Formula 1 car is a huge day for any young driver. So how did Tictum take to the whole experience and the speed and the step-up in performance and the and the pressure of this? Yeah, Dan's reaction, as you might expect, he was over the moon. Um, he is He's a very articulate guy. Um, in fact, before he got in the car, he said that this day couldn't be compared to any other sport. And he made, he made a good analogy, which is, you know, when you play football, you learn how to kick a ball. And that sort of knowing, knowing what to do on the ball doesn't really change, whether it's a Sunday league game or you're facing Real Madrid. Obviously, you know, the opposition's much harder. Whereas for him, he's come off the back of a season in European F3 and then is jumping in straight in into an F1 car and barely has an hour to get accustomed to three times the amount of downforce. So it's a real sort of sensory overload for him. But yeah, when he when he got out of the car, he was he was obviously delighted. He, he despite saying he's articulate, he found it tough to uh, put it into words. He he said, and you've got to accept uh, that it's probably a bit of a throwaway comment that he said in the moment. But you know, he he did say that as though this was his life complete, which you know. It is a is a fantastic thing to hear him say. Uh, that was his reaction getting out of the car. But also, I think you've got to read his reaction or what he was like in the car because this date ha- has uh, it sort of snuck up on him, I suppose, because he's been focused on his European F3 season. But he's he's known since winning that award in December last year that he was going to drive an F1 car, so he has had time to think about his approach. Um, but in the car, he was. As daft as this sounds, he was pleasingly Dan Tictum. So I think the best the best way of explaining that is he did in in the words of uh, head judge Derek Warwick, uh, he did an Ollie Roland, which is where he just came out the pit guard and just lit up the rears. He had an, had a nice sort of drift going. He had the opposite lot going down a pit lane, left two black lines in McLaren's pristine pit garage. But you know, I think that takes a certain amount of bravery. I think is the right word to do that on your first ever drive in an F1 car when you're trying to impress a team that have very little experience of running with you. So that's that's quite a quite a bold first impression. But 
again, I think you've got to read as much into that, how much he was relishing the opportunity as, as he was, you know, buzzing when he got back into the garage at the end. Well, it's clear that Tickton enjoyed it, but I guess more importantly, what did the team make of him? Were they happy with his approach, his speed, his consistency? I know it's quite a, quite a short run, but there's a good chance for a driver to really show what he can do in one of these tests. No question McLaren were really impressed. In, in fact, that was the word that came up a lot. The team kept using impressed to talk about Dunn's run. Um, on the day, they, McLaren don't bring a full sort of style setup. So that means there's, there's limited data both for the team and and for us who are watching on. And so you have to rely totally on what the personnel tell you. And so a few factors to be aware of is he was running on demonstration spec tyres and they weren't heated in blankets or anything. They were put on the car cold and it was up to Dan to sort of get them up to temperature. Um, and he was also running a high downforce setup a heavy fuel load and with the, the V8 engine was uh, was turned down from what you might expect from qualifying trim. So with all those factors combined, doing a straightforward lap comparison is sort of irrelevant. So Dan set a best time sort of in the, in the mid 136s. That's going off my sort of phone timing him as he as he came past the start line. Um, and so he, yeah, he did a mid 136 and, uh, Button, who was a top McLaren qualifier at Silverstone in 2013, he did a 131. Um, so I'm not sure what you can take from that. I would say the test, the test was run by Amelia Lewis, who's uh, a 25 year old McLaren engineer graduate. So it's, you know, a special day for her as well. Um, and what she wanted to see, how, how she wanted to judge whether Dan had done a good job was his consistency and improvement. Both of those things Dan delivered upon. So from his uh, first sort of flying lap to his final run, uh, there was a five second game in lap time, which is obviously, you know, super, super and substantial. As I mentioned earlier, Dan's done a lot of Red Bull sim work. So I think there was, was some apprehension from the team that this is a guy who might jump in and just be gun ho from the word go. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. And, and yeah, you know, and he could have found the limit too quickly, and ultimately, you know, could have had an accident or spun the car. So the fact that he went out and he he improved lap after lap and sort of built up to this point where you know you could hear we were standing on the wing, but you could hear you know he was having flicks of oversteer coming out of maggots. You know, he was finding the limit, but he built up to it. Um, and the one more point to add is that on these Mabba tests, there's sort of un an unofficial barometer of how well you're doing and that's abby um, which is turn one on the on the late on silverstone circuit so the right hand as you go past the wing um taking that flat out is is the benchmark and dan sort of in in almost like a you know a hollywood film fashion he built up to built up to it and then on his last flying uh run he he kept the throttle pinned and sort of shot shot round earlier he'd been downshifting a couple of gears touching the brakes but on that last run he he kept it flat and that was met by uh, Derek Warwick uh, who was sort of fist pumping the air because as I say that's that's the that's the unofficial test of if you've done a good job um so on that and from what the team's saying I think you have to say that he he really did impress well it's interesting I should pick up on what you said about the speed comparison that the Pirelli demo tires they are a very hard compound they're not trick construction they're they're a reasonable step away from from the race tires partly so that teams can't learn anything relevant to their racing programs when they do these demo runs because obviously we've got the test ban but also partly because if they did fall into the hands of any rivals there wouldn't be any secrets that could be uh, could be learned from them 
But what do you think about Tickton's chances of getting into F1? Clearly he won't be there next year, but 2020, there's there's uh, every possibility. Obviously, he was second in F3 European Championship this year. He's going to go and defend his Macau Grand Prix uh, title, as it were, next month. So he's got to be, be on the radar. I think you have to consider Dan Tickton to be in line for an F1 drive somewhere down the line, especially given his standing as a Red Bull junior. I spoke to him throughout the day when he was driving the F1 car and he wouldn't let slip what he was doing next season. But he did clarify his situation and that's that for finishing runner-up in F3, he got 25 super licence points and that takes his total to 38, which is just too shy of the uh, the 40 needed to get into F1. So add in that he's only 19 and that's despite serving his uh, his ban, then he's got plenty of time to make it. And you can take a lot from what he did in the F1 car too, because if you consider that his season in F3, unlocking the most from that Dallara car uh, comes with preserving momentum because you haven't got the engine to fire you out the other side of the corners because it's low power. Whereas in the F1 car, it was only a handful of laps before he was sort of driving to that car's ability and that was pinning it on its nose and making the most of the downforce. So that ability to sort of adapt, you know, does stand him in good stead. I think, again, if you look at the year he's just had, all credit to his motor park team, you have to say that they're not Prima uh, power team who have dominated that championship since 2015. I think if you look at Lance Stroll, Felix Rosenquist and now Mick Schumacher, it's just Lando Norris in 2016 who hasn't been with Prima um, and, and nor was Dan and yet he still sort of put in a really strong title fight. As as for Dan as a person, how he'd fit in F1, he is very outspoken and that's probably a better thing for us as journalists to get a story or for people watching at home who are fans. Uh, it's probably less good for those managing his media relations. Dan Tickton has to be considered an F1 shot for 2020 or beyond. Well, finally, we should briefly mention there is a Grand Prix this weekend, Mexico. That's why we're heading there shortly. Lewis Hamilton needs just to score five points to be absolutely sure of winning the championship. That's even if Sebastian Vettel wins. And in fact, he might not need to score any points if, uh, if Vettel doesn't win. We all know it's a matter of time, but after what happened in Austin, Mercedes and Hamilton will be relieved if they can just make sure of it, just to avoid any potential disasters uh, befalling them, because you never know what can happen. And the fewer races that are left, the bigger the chance there is of something improbable happening. So it's good to get it sewn up, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like there was a little bit of tension um, on Sunday in Austin because Lewis was basically just saying like, "Well, I never actually talked about wrapping it up here. I was always saying, oh, I just want to win the race. I don't want to f- talk about the title.'" And he was getting all asked all these questions, and that's why it became a thing, which is true to a point. And well, and that's partly because the driver needs to focus on the process. Yeah, absolutely. Of, of going about it, so that their thinking will be: ideally, we'll wrap up the championship, but we'll do it by doing the weekend properly because you can't you know you do it by getting the best result don't you yeah and Mercedes kept saying that they weren't going to be um you know banking on anything happening they were Toto likes to roll out what's the what's the line he really likes it's just when obviously there's that classic cliched sporting uh saying which is you, you know having one hand on the trophy and Toto likes to say that you either have it in your hands or you don't so there's no point in talking about it while it's all just speculation um which I think Mercedes have probably that's probably taken the right approach. What I'm really interested to see in Mexico is how Mercedes handle this um, rear wheel design situation that's going on because there was clearly a, a loss of performance from Mercedes in in Austin that was linked to the fact that they were overheating the the rear tires and it coincided 
with a Grand Prix in which that they uh, changed the design of their real rear wheels after um, Ferrari had questioned their legality pre-weekend. They'd got they'd got confirmation from the FIA that they could carry on Mercedes, but our understanding is that they made this change out of fear of a potential Ferrari protest. So just to make sure that in case they wrapped up the title. There was absolutely nothing that could happen to overshadow that. They, they changed the design. So it's going to be absolutely crucial, I think, to the story of the weekend, whether or not Mercedes continues with that altered design or goes back to the one that annoyed Ferrari so much, or not annoyed, but made them curious. And if we get a proper explanation from Mercedes as to what the the limiting factor of performance was in, in on, on Sunday in uh, in Austin. Was it this changed design or was there something else at play that they're, that they're going to be forced into telling us? Yeah, I think the, the blistering can certainly be, be tied to that. I mean, the, the overall performance revival of Ferrari was also down, was obviously down to Ferrari because if you look at the gap, they pulled back away from Red Bulls in the last three races as well as Mercedes, the previous three races rather, as well as Mercedes doing well, Ferrari had actually gone backwards towards Red Bull and now they've returned to their previous point relative to Red Bull. So it's all, all very strange. But yeah, it's, you know, that they've, they've had tire battles all year and the fact they had blistering, it could just have been in Austin that because they didn't have any Friday practice, it could just have been one of those things. They didn't quite get the car balance right. They were doing it or it could be something more sinister. So it'd be very, very interesting to see what happens in Mexico. But whatever happens, even if they're, struggling it's uh, very very likely to be lewis hamilton crowned world champion for the for the fifth time at least if that happens we can uh, we can stop asking when it's going to be and he can stop getting irritated at answering questions about and i can it. and i can stop writing stories on how and what hamilton needs to do to win the title this weekend because maths was never my strong point at school and sometimes it gets a bit boring showing, right okay so if he finishes there Vettel, he's going to have these many points Vettel's going to have these many points at least for this one it was quite simple it's just a case of Hamilton needs to score X number of points and Vettel basically needs to win to have any chance of uh, of, of extending the weight for a title. Yeah, which considering Vettel, I don't think he's finished in the top two in the last, what, five races? Certainly Spa was the last time he was in the top two. So it's it's been, uh, been a tricky, tricky run for him. Well, we're going to pack up and uh, make our way to Mexico now. I'd suggest you head to autosport.com to check out all the latest news on Formula One and the rest of the world of motorsports. Our plus subscriber area for a small fee, you can read the world's best motorsport journalists writing about all sorts of topics, columns, opinions, features, interviews, the lot. Please check out Sister Titles, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and motorsport.com. And of course, Autosport Magazine, out every Thursday. The uh, the issue that's available now will, of course, tell the full story of the USGP weekend as packed with race reports of everything from Grand Prix racing down to uh, the meekest of club racing. That's always my favourite section to go through the uh, club racing section as a former club racer myself. Lots going on there. And if you fancy a flutter, check out Pit Stop Betting. Download the app and then whether it's IndyCar, MotoGP, NASCAR, Formula One, you fancy uh, you fancy staking a bit of cash on, you can do it all there. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 歡迎回到《Sports Social》Podcast Network。Lucky Land Casino，asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky。Lucky in line at the deli，I guess。Aha，in my dentist's office，more than once actually。Do I have to say？Yes，you do。In the car